ओम ज्ञान से That wasn't Krishna's ultimate argument to Arjuna, but because uh, Arjuna had made a complaint to Krishna that he didn't want to fight, he was complaining on the on the material platform of sense gratification. So Krishna addressed that point also. Mm-hmm. Arjuna was addressing the the point of dharma or religious duty that it will be irreligious or dharmic to kill. So many men, especially those who are uh, gurus and uh, kinsmen. So, although you're speaking of duty, Arjuna is actually concerned about getting sinful reactions by which he would have to stop it. In other words, Arjuna is speaking from the platform of sense gratification. So Krishna answered him on this platform that uh, either way, you're the winner. Something, uh, something about who has something called university. So 
So he made his translation of Bhagavad Gita. The first six chapters only, because according to him, the rest is not very important. Because he says in the sixth chapter that describes the yoga system, and that's it, we don't need anything else. That's the essence of Bhagavad Gita. But that yoga system was rejected by Arjuna. It's something else that was rejected by Arjuna. He rejected Krishna's uh, idea that you can be happy by going over the earth planet. He also rejected Krishna's instruction to perform Hatha Yoga. And at the end of chapter 6, Krishna clearly says that the best yogi anyway is the bhakti yogi. But those whose intelligence is covered by envy of Krishna, they cannot understand. You may wonder, how is it that the Mayavadis, they don't understand Bhagavad Gita as it is. And Krishna clearly says, Bhakti I can be understood by devotional service. Than me, there is nothing greater or than Anjali, Krishna says. Not even slightly. But how is it that the Mayavadis don't understand? Because they are rascals. They misinterpret. They say, for instance, say Krishna said this to Arjuna because Arjuna had a lower adhika or lower ability to understand. You see, he wasn't a student of Vedanta. He was a, he was a politician and he wasn't a Brahmin. He was a Grihastha and other things. So these instructions were good for him, but they're not really the highest teaching. This is this is how the Mayavadis interpret. But what does Krishna say to Arjuna? Why I'm speaking this to you? That, you know, at the beginning of the fourth chapter, Krishna said, I spoke this knowledge to some god who spoke it to Manu, who spoke it to Ichraku. And in this way, this knowledge was received in the Parampara system to Sindhu King. But in the course of time, that knowledge became lost in human society. And then Krishna says, but I am speaking the same knowledge to you today. Why? Because you are my devotee as well as my friend. Therefore, you can understand the transcendental mysteries of the same. So Bhagavad Gita should be understood as it is through devotees. Therefore, this study is systematically through Bhakti Shastri process. And you may find that when you finish the course, that if you've studied very nicely, You'll have a very good, you have a good overview of the general overview of the philosophy. But actually, if you study very nicely, you'll find you'll have more questions. In other words, you'll you'll be basically convinced that Krishna is unlimited, and you can never fully understand Krishna. And there's no limit to how deep we can go in our understanding of the Shastra. I'm feeling myself. I've been reading Proverbs books now for a relatively long period of time. And each time I'm reading, I'm feeling that this is something new. I'm, I'm just going, I'm finding things which I didn't see. I'm just going deeper and deeper. But still, it's, you know, it's a happy thing refreshing the surface. So, many questions. What's the difference between Archana and Bhajana? First question, and second one afterwards. Yeah. Archana means process of deity worship. Bhajana is a general term which is. Uh, more or less synonymous with sadhana. Of course, we often use the word bhajan to mean singing certain songs, but another meaning is uh, like sadhana. It's often used to, uh, its usage is often of the, in terms of the kind of sadhana that you'll do by yourself. So, archana can be part of one's bhajan. You may personally perform deity worship and then also reading from Shastra, chanting Japa and all those things. What is Bhakti Abhas? Bhakti Abhas. Abhas uh, literally means a reflection. So Bhakti Abhas means that which is not exactly Bhakti, but which is a reflection or bears similarity. So when Bhakti is not fully pure, or when it's mixed with material motives, or in other ways if it's improperly performed, that may be called Bhakti Abhas. Eternal relationships. 
relationship of disciple and spiritual master uh, are broken in case when the disciple fails, just fails in this life. What are, are these relationships? Relationship in the next life? No, it, it's not necessarily that if the disciple is unsuccessful, that the relationship is lost. Exactly how the guru-disciple relationship is going on, that is by the mercy of Krishna. Exactly how someone will continue in the next life in Krishna consciousness, that will be by the arrangement of Krishna. Um, which of the four related principles is connected with um, developing mercy or compassion towards living entities? Well, sometimes it's stated differently. Generally, it's stated that uh, meditating destroys mercy. Sometimes it's also stated that intoxication destroys mercy, which we compatibly see. Someone who becomes a drunkard or who takes narcotic, heavy drugs, and they lose all feelings for others. And uh, an alcohol, a drunken man can, can beat or even kill his own wife or children, and he can uh, steal the last opex from the Parents. Basically, all these uh, all these four simple activities they destroy all qualities. One who takes meat is neither kind nor clean. Certainly not austere either. So actually, all the sometimes certain principles of sinful life are connected with the destruction of certain principles. But actually, anyone who is sinful and all the qualities then a disciple should inquire from his spiritual master and he should serve him. What particularly? What uh, should he inquire in particular? And uh, uh, is it possible that his questions be repeated? So can his questions be repeated? This is described in Srimad Bhagavatam that we should inquire about. Uh, and I'll just quote a, a well-known verse from Bhagavatam, which I hope that those of you who are bhakti shastris learn this verse. If you don't know, then you should learn, because when you finish bhakti shastri, it doesn't mean that you know everything as much. You know. That's, the, that's practically to introduce you to the proper study. So the well-known verse from Bhagavatam is as follows. Tasmad gurum papadyeta, that's the first one. Does anyone know the second one? Jignyasu shreya uttamam. Jignyasu shreya uttamam. Tasmad gurum papadyeta means, therefore, one should surrender to a guru. Therefore, it refers to the previous verse, which it is stated that even in the heavenly planets, Life is temporary and miserable. So therefore, one should surrender to a guru and inquire about what? About, one's, about the highest benefit of life. So this is what we should inquire about. Brahma Jignyasa. Now we have attained to the human form of life, we should inquire into the absolute truth. And can we ask more than once? Certainly. Prabhupada notes that uh, in, in the purport of Bhagavad Gita, when uh, Krishna at the end asked Arjuna, that do you feel satisfied now? Are your doubts clear? And Prabhupada notes in the in the purport that if necessary, Krishna was ready to speak the whole Bhagavad Gita again to Arjuna. Prabhupada his doubts. If an initiated devotee, initiated devotee, has not attained to the mode of goodness, and he has not obtained uh, blessings of other devotees, uh, can he serve his spiritual master? by the strength of his sincere desire and to make progress and to thus make progresses in Krishna consciousness and to please his spiritual master. Yes, Krishna and Guru are looking for sincere desire. They're not even so much looking for the mode of goodness. So there, there may be many persons who are in the mode of goodness but don't have a sincere desire to serve Krishna. There may be people who are peaceful, 
self-control, not living Shastra, but not interested in serving Krishna. And then there are other persons who are uh, not very cultured, but with a sincere desire to serve Krishna. Such persons are better candidates for Krishna consciousness than apparently cultured people without any desire to serve Krishna. Just like Prabhupada was preaching Krishna consciousness in India, and there are many cultured, well-behaved, learned, self-controlled people there who didn't take up his message. And Prabhupada went amongst them, the most uh, uncultured, fallen hippies, and he found some spark of sincerity that uh, Krishna. So sincerity is ultimately the most important factor. Now the other uh, part of the question that if you don't have the blessings, if the devotees, can you still properly serve Guru and Krishna? Well, it is important to have the blessings of other devotees and not to offend them. You see some devotees who, you know, they're only interested in serving their Guru, but they're not interested in serving the other devotees. Some of them, when the Guru is present, they're very enthusiastic to serve and they're very, they're doing everything nicely, but as soon as the Guru goes, they start fighting with the other devotees. So it's better to satisfy all the devotees, then we can probably satisfy them. Okay, Jay, we'll take more questions tomorrow. Not a few days. Can't possibly finish all the questions, even if we were to stay here for millions of years. Anyway, the answer to all questions is John Hare Krishna. Now let's do that. Hare Krishna.